Welcome to the Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada and with the support of Omnovos, Canada's digital customer engagement company. Tis the season of giving, and Omnovos can help you give your customers the gift of a personalized experience in 2021. Find out how you can get personal and grow sales with Omnovos at www.realcustomerengagement.com. In this episode, I welcome back to the podcast retail leader April Sabral on the launch of her new book, The Positive Effect. April talks about her personal and professional journey and how the lessons learned along the way created formative frameworks in retail leadership. Next, J.P. Adamo takes a lifetime of hospitality and customer experience lessons and leverages them into Canada's newest retail cannabis concept store, Dimes Cannabis. But first, let's hear all about her new book, The Positive Effect, from April. April, welcome back to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing, Michael. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, fantastic. Thanks for uh, for coming back on the podcast. I mean, a lot has happened since the last time we spoke. I think the last time we, we actually saw each other was a tour. I was hosting a tour through retail, and, and I think that was the last time we physically saw each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a busy year for, for you, a busy year in, in retail, so I'm excited to catch up. So, uh, for the listeners who perhaps didn't hear our first uh, interview, tell us about yourself, your personal professional journey, and your background in retail. Yeah, so yeah, it's definitely been a while since we saw each other physically, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so my background and in, in professional journey is I got my first retail job in a store at 16, you know, got kicked out of home, um, <laughs> so had to figure out how to pay my way. And retail was, you know, an easy job to get, right? Like Mm -hmm. with no formal education through college and university. So I got a job in a retail store in in Manchester in the UK. And so that's where my journey started in retail. I moved down to London and became a manager at 20, you know, early in my 20s when Gap came to the UK. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my journey has taken me Mm -hmm. really across the globe. I started in the UK, went to... Miami for about seven years and then came to Canada in 2006. And when I started in retail, I never thought it was going to be my professional year of choice. Um, I know Ron Thurston, he's a friend of mine, and he he had this book out called, you know, The Accidental mm. Career. And we always laugh about that because that is me. I started off as a job to pay my bills and you know, for whatever reason, um, still here and stuck with it and got promoted along the way and worked for great brands. I feel very fortunate. I worked mm. for Gap early on. I was part of the Starbucks opening crew in the UK, moved to the US with Starbucks um, and then went back to Gap at Banana and moved to Canada with Banana Republic. And then when I got here, I worked for brands like Holt Renfrew. Um, I worked for Laura Canada. And the last job I had before I became an entrepreneur, which is a whole other story, is um, was the vice president of sales and operations for David's Tea, which is a Canadian, well, a Canadian mm. tea brand um, that's now mostly online. I was um, going to say, yeah. I just ordered from it online. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a mostly online site, which, you know. Yeah. So um, I've always been in sales and operations. I've mm-hmm. always led field leadership. I've been really connected to the customer and really passionate about that and really passionate about store teams getting what they need to be able to give the customer an amazing experience. So 
that's mm. my journey through retail. <laughs> well, well yeah, you and I know someone in common-ish, uh, you more than me, Ron Thurston. I interviewed him for with his new book, Retail Pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess now I connect the dots you met uh, in the Gap organization, right? That's how you two met because he's at uh, Intermix right now, which is part of a Gap, right? Am I got that right? Well, I met him on LinkedIn. I've got a massive LinkedIn yeah. network, <laughs> like now 15,000 people, which I don't know how that wow. happened. Wow. Yeah, so just the following keeps growing. And I met him through LinkedIn. He was a LinkedIn network, which is why huh. I love LinkedIn so much. And when I was in yeah, New York yeah. at the beginning of the year, I, I I just messaged him and said, hey, let's meet. So we did. Mm. And we were like, we're both writing books. And it was it was great. So he's now um, a peer and a partner of mine. And yeah, I respect him very much. So that's how I met him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah fantastic. All right. Well, you know, you've talked about this journey that you've been on. And, and let's talk about for a little bit about, you know, the retail you which is really your response to taking what you did for a career for so many years and putting that online or putting that out to the community. Talk about that, the founding of that a little bit and the purpose and your objective behind that. And then I want to get into this book and, and let's spend most of the time talking about this great new book. Yeah, so Retail You really is all of my years of knowledge, um, you know, of teaching and developing leaders, <clears throat> excuse me, um, throughout my retail journey and really focusing on those core competencies like problem solving and uh, conflict management and communication skills and all of those um, really people skills, Mm. I want to say, that you learn in retail, but you don't necessarily learn through going through formal education. And so, you know, wherever I worked, I always recognized that whenever there was a really great leader in a store, it really made a difference to how the team felt and the results. And that was always driven through their leadership Mm. skills. And because I was working for great brands in the beginning of my career that had amazing leadership training for me back then, I learned that early on. And so with with knowing that and knowing the difference that it makes when you can develop those core leadership competencies, you know, when I was at David's Tea, I was building those Mm. programs when I was there. And then I had this thought of like, well, I can help, you know, 250 managers, but what if I could do this on a larger scale and, you know, build it into e-learning and then share that with a bigger retail audience as opposed to just one Mm. company. And so Mm. that was where the vision came from. It's like, how do I take my knowledge and how do I share it and make a bigger impact? And so that's how it was built. And it was built on a value proposition of, because I know I worked in retail for so long and I know budget's tight. And so I wanted to make it affordable um, for all retailers and even that retail manager that is looking for development but can't Mm. find it. You know, I remember spending so much time when we were building leadership conferences, scouring the internet, you know, looking for YouTube videos or TED Talks and then creating content Mm. around that. And so I wanted to be able to create this toolkit, this toolbox of those leadership core competencies for those managers to have. And what's been amazing this year, actually, is we have onboarded a ton of managers individually that have been at home and wanting to focus and develop their skills and up-level themselves, right? Well, you know, some of them were furloughed, some of them not. And we had a roundtable with them a couple of weeks ago just to get feedback. And they were like, this is mm. the training we always wanted. And, you know, this gives me the resources to train my team. So it's you kind of have to look at it like it's these, this toolbox of leadership mm. skills 
um, with videos, bite-sized videos, PDF tools and worksheets and things like that to really develop those skills. So we, our hope and desire is to get it into bigger retailers to support them. Um, so that I know now it's, it's tough, mm. but I think this is right time, right price to market because leadership, you know, it can be expensive and also learning and development teams are getting mm. slim. We know that because of what's going on in retail. So this is our way of making training tools for your managers that are affordable. So, you know, hopefully 2021, more people take advantage of that. I guess the meta message coming out of out of the initiative or coming out of that is that leadership at retail can be trained. In other words, it's not, um, I, I, what would you say? I mean, there's some people clearly who walk into a role like that and they're just oriented to be people leaders, right? They're people people, so to speak. Um, but it is something you can learn, right? You, it's skills that you can acquire, you can polish and, and just simply get better at, yeah? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I believe that there's natural born leaders for sure, but I'm a John C. Maxwell coach and I took that certification six, six years ago when I was in a senior role to elevate my own leadership skills. Mm. I think I'm pretty good, but you only know what you know from experience, right? So there comes right. a point where your experience only takes you so far. And the other thing is, it's one thing to know how to lead. It's another thing to develop other leaders. Mm -hmm. And so I learned quite quickly by being in the John Maxwell team is I got the tools and resources to be able to develop my director levels and DM levels to another level, which then they passed it on to their store managers. So a lot of leaders in retail just do it. We just grow up through the ranks. We get right, promoted right. because people like us and get along with us. People follow us. But then how do you actually pass on that knowledge to somebody else to train somebody else? And that's where I think there's a big gap. So, mm. you know, it's like, how do I as a store manager develop my assistant managers and key holders to, to take my place? Well, if I right. have the tools and the resources, I mean, that's why leadership is such a big topic. And that's why we read books about leadership, right? Because mm. we're always trying to tweak, improve, and like figure out how we can apply those methodologies in what we do. So it can definitely be taught, Michael, for sure. Well, that's a nice segue to talking about books to, uh, to the positive effect. Your new book, congratulations. Um, I always start to, when I interview authors, uh, I always ask a couple of questions. One is, is, you know, as you sat down to write a book or even think about the book, what, what was that white space or open space on the shelf where you, where you thought to yourselves, you know, there's a book I have something to to say that isn't being said today or a book to contribute that isn't out there. Um, wh where did you think there is that kind of white space on the shelf at your local bookstore for, for your book? Yeah, I think after studying and reading so many leadership books over the years, I never found a leadership book that was related to retail. You know, I've read hundreds of books, um, mm. Stephen Covey, you know, like I talked about Maxwell, Brendan Burchard, like young leaders, um, uh, old time leaders like uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, Thought Set, so, sorry, Mindset, like many different leadership books, Simon Sinek. But again, there was very few books about retail and very few books about real field leadership. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's always like I'd read this methodology and then I'm like, okay, how do I apply that in my um, world, right? And it's, so, it's, a funny, it's a funny thing when you think about it. I mean, you know, retail is the largest private sector employer <laughs> in most, if not all countries. Like it yeah. seems like there's a gap there because um, maybe it's this, you know, retail is not a real career kind of stigma that that has prevented it but it, I, you're right i mean there's when you think about the broad base of leadership 
literature, um, there's not a lot of things that, that teach people who lead retail, which is, employing, <laughs> you know, in this country, two and a, 2.1 million people, right? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And so, and I, I think it's also because, you know, in my experience, a lot of us uh, maybe landed like an, me and Ron talk about this, an accidental career. Maybe we ended up mm-hmm. there for whatever mm-hmm. reason and we just ended up doing it. And then when somebody yeah. asks you how you do it or how you lead, you're like, um, well, there's like 25 <laughs> things I do in a day. I don't know how to explain it, right? right? right. So becoming an entrepreneur and then having mm-hmm. to like present retail you to clients, um, mostly HR teams, because that's who we, you know, we talk to when we're, we're going to talk to businesses. They'd be like, okay, so what's your leadership methodology? And I was like, um... There's like 25 things that I could tell you about. So I had to really ponder yeah. that last year and say, God, mm-hmm. if I had to like do an elevator pitch on how I lead, like how, what is it that I do, you know? And then how can I share that? Because obviously it was successful for me because I went from a part-time salesperson to a vice president of store. So how did that happen, yeah. right? There had to be some something in my leadership that, that I wanted to share with others. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's really where it came about. That That was the thinking of why. Um, and then the process, the process was interesting of when I had that thought, I was like, okay, I need to put my, put it down on paper. I Mm -hmm. emailed like, I don't know, 65 people that have worked Mm -hmm. for me over the years. And I said, Hey, if you had to describe my leadership in three words, you know, like really short sentences, (laughs) what would it be? And then I was surprised that a lot of people, like 70% of people wrote back, which was great. And then we filtered through all of that. And we came down to three main pillars. And so that's in this book. And I actually, um, you know, introduce you to my leadership model. Mm. And also the name, The Positive Effect, that was just my business partner that said, everywhere you go, you have a positive effect on people. So like, let's just call the book that. And I was like, Lightning okay. in a bottle. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I always, I, I, I envy and admire whatever people who write books. I barely have time to read them, let alone write them. And then, you know, coming up with, with uh, the content, such a unique approach. Um, you know, you, you, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about in one of his books, a bit of adversity makes for, for stronger people, stronger personalities. Um, and, and I think it, you've already said, you know, you left home at a young age. And, and in the beginning of your book, you talk about, uh, growing up being compared to a twin. I didn't know you were a twin. It's amazing to know there's two of you out there. Um, and so so this little bit of adversity seems to have led you down a, a particular path and become a, a defining aspect to shaping your life. You talk about it uh, quite eloquently in the first part of the book. So explain that a little bit for us about how you reflect back on that as to what you've become. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all of our Um, experiences growing up shape us into who we become as adults and you know being an it's being an identical twin you know I grew up with somebody um, that looked like me kind of was very Mm -hmm. similar to me but we were extremely different and we used to argue all the time Mm. right like because we would just do that and then we'd get over it within a minute and so there's a lot of things that when I reflect back on our relationship when I was younger that it taught me a lot in terms of conflict management skills. It sounds funny now to think about that, but conflict management mm. or like forgiving people really quickly and, you know, listening and observing. Like my dad would say to me, you know, my sister was the, the more, um, I would say expressive or like, you know, warrior. So she'd like, you know, tumble down the stairs. And then I'd be like, mm, don't know if I'm going to do that. I'd go down backwards. Right. So I'd watch and learn from her. So mm-hmm. I think I, I learned a lot of 
those kind of um, skills early on. Um, and then we have a quite um, strange relationship, which I write a bit, a little bit about in the book, not, not a huge amount. But the reason why I share that is because I always felt um, not valued by her as a, as a twin, you know, and, mm. and a lot of people are like, oh, twins should be really close. And that's not always true for all twins. Mm. And so I think that sense of feeling undervalued or feeling compared to or feeling like I was never going to be good enough made me understand the feeling of not feeling valued. And so as a leader, that's really important mm. to me that people feel valued when they work with me or when I talk to them. And that is clearly defined in my leadership model mm. um, act. So that experience really shaped the way that I really want other leaders to value people, like really value them and see them for who they are, you know? Yeah, clearly a formative uh, experience in your professional career, right? That intersection of the personal and professional is very, is very close. So talk about those three or four key elements to success in leadership from your perspective and in general, and then in, in retail specifically, you've got entire great chapters dedicated to things like em- empathy and accountability. Um, are those really, I, I hate to boil, kind of boil it down to three <laughs> or four things like we're in an elevator or something, but, but what are those things that stand out in your mind that were the most important things that you really had to get down on paper in that book to say, listen, if you, you should do all this, but if you, you know, if you can't manage to do all this, these are the really important things that you should focus on. Yeah, um, yeah, that's defined in the ACT leadership model because there is, like you said, there's like 16 chapters. They're not big chapters because I know a lot of mm. retail people as well don't want to read a lot, so I made <laughs> it that way intentionally. But the first four I think there's chapters, an audio book in your future, by the way. <laughs> there is, yeah, it's coming. I've just got to actually oh, record fantastic. it. But yeah. Excellent. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so ACT, which is accept, create, teach. And these were the three kind of fundamental pillars that came back when I asked everybody feedback. And so Mm. when I look at ACT, which is accept, create, teach, it's not a personality quiz. It's not a color quadrant of what you fit into as a leader. It's really a way of being. So it's not, you have to change and do all of this. What you need to do is become more aware. You need to be an aware leader and accept is around accepting people and helping them feel supported not judging them, you know, um, which is really important now in like, you know, removing mm. biases and creating an inclusive place to work. And I talk about that a lot in Accept Pillar. And I could have put support, I could have put anything, but the reason why I chose the word accept is just because it's about acceptance and accepting um, the reality, accepting who they are and creating that support. So that's number one. Number two is create. And I think that comes back to creating an environment where people can thrive. I also think as a leader, what you think about comes about and where you spend your time thinking, you create the reality for yourself and others. And so I talk a lot about envisioning in that chapter. Mm. You know, what do you envision? What do you see um, in your business with your customers with your team? And then how do you go about setting that time aside as a leader to actually really Mm. take thinking time? Because we know now everybody's talking about more mindfulness in leadership Mm. and meditation Mm. and envisioning what you want. And (laughs) so that has been a part of Mm. who I've always been. So I really put that into that second pillar. And then the third one, which is teach, is about coaching and mentorship. I think any leader, no matter what, really owes it to the team that they work with to always impart knowledge and be a coach and a mentor. And I think that if you can see yourself as a teacher, you'll be less frustrated because Mm. a lot of times I would spend 
coaching leaders on, oh, they're so frustrated with people because they feel like they've told them 10 times. And I'd be like, well, hold on a second. You know, let's approach that from a teaching moment. Hmm. And if you actually see yourself as a coach and a mentor and develop your skills to do that, what is the outcome going to be or what's the result going to be of you working with this team? So accept, create, teach are three ways of being that create that help you be an aware leader and pay attention because another thing is there's so many times I would sit in a meeting and watch people talk like a leader talking with an, another uh, somebody on their team mm. and the leader would walk away and say oh that conversation went really well and I was like yeah no it didn't I could completely <laughs> see it on the other person's <laughs> body language right so so I'd be like be, okay being you, a bit self-aware of your, right, aware like, of your environment right? right become aware so you know mm. I received feedback early on in my career where somebody gave feedback to HR and I was really surprised and it wasn't the feedback that I received, I was surprised about. It was a fact I wasn't aware of that feedback hmm. um, because I thought I had a good relationship with this person. But being somebody's boss, you have a title. And mm-hmm. so you need to pay attention to that because no matter hmm. what, they're never going to be 100% honest with you. So I really used to instill that in my leaders. I'd say your title goes before you and expect that it does because when you go in with that filter, you will have a different sense of empathy for people, hmm. you know? Interesting, so, yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, um, you talked about a reality. Let's talk about the reality of the world we're living in today, the COVID era. So uh, 2020, let's put that one in the <laughs> rearview mirror. Let's forget that kind of sort of year ever happened, but it did. Let's talk about 2021. And it feels to me like retail leaders will be challenged like never before. Like in 2020, there was a lot of, you know, we got to move fast. We got to, we got to figure these things out. We got to keep our people physically safe. It feels like we're now at the point going into the second year of the COVID era, while there's a vaccine on, not just on the horizon, but but that's going to take months and months and months. We got a lot of months to go before re- anything that looks like normal returns. What's your advice to, to leaders to help people get through the next, you know, the next period, the next phase of the COVID crisis, which I, which I really think is going to be about mental health and, and resilience and, and getting through it. Um, what are you, how are you thinking about that when you talk to people? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, This is why, like bringing up mental health, so this is why we launched a wellness course on Retail U. Even though Mm. it's not a leadership competency per se, like problem solving or conflict management, it's necessary now for leaders to um, be aware, show empathy, and not underestimate um, what one conversation or connection or text message or checking in with people can do. Because um, you just don't know how people are dealing with things. You don't know how mm. they feel. You don't know what people's home lives are. Um, you don't know what's going on around them. And so, you know, me being, you know, I live in Canada. I don't have any immediate family. It's just me and my son. And so, you know, there's a lot of people like that that are living in places that don't have a lot of support around them. And so I think that they're going to be relying on a connection. And if you have a leader, that's probably your immediate connection. I mean, I remember when I moved to the US as a store manager for Starbucks and I didn't know anybody. My district manager was my lifeline back mm. then. She, you know, if I had a problem with a kid at two o'clock in the morning and, and I had to find <laughs> figure out how to go to a hospital, she was there for me. She would be like, you know, contact, you know, call me whenever you need me, text me. And she, I really think back to that time as like, wow, that was really amazing that I had that leader that was ha- that that was there for me personally and professionally, you know? So I think I grew up in an era where it was like, you know, 
professional and personal, keep your emotions out of your leadership. Right, right, I don't right. think that we can keep doing that going mm-hmm. forwards. I think that you've got to really pr- approach your leadership in a holistic way, you know, and really don't underestimate that. Really don't. Like think about mindfulness, wellness, and mental health, like you said, Michael, and make sure that you're taking that little bit of time to reach out, to connect. I mean, I've seen a lot of it on LinkedIn. I've seen a lot of people doing connections at the beginning of a Zoom call or, you know, just checking Mm, in with mm -hmm. people. I just don't think you can do that enough. You know, I think we have to keep Mm. doing that because it's part of being human and having that human connection with people. And at the end of the day, people work for people, right? So it's really important. Right, right on. Well, it's 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 uh, always been the case, but it feels like there's key lessons coming out of this crisis. And in fact, when things return to whatever normal looks like, you know, post vaccine, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot more people working at home and a lot more people working in different ways. I think that will continue. I think that's one of the long lasting changes from the COVID era is, is people will need to figure out connectivity from remote places. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a, a lasting impact and, and, you know, some of these lessons that you're, that you're imparting, I think will be very important. How do you lead people that you rarely see? Yeah. And another thing is, you know, like a big part of being in retail and being in the field and leading the field was store visits, right? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like so many times when, you know, I was at David's Tea, you'd see me on a Saturday with an apron on at the Eaton Center in Toronto, like working mm-hmm. behind the counter because I wanted to listen to what was going on and hear the customers. So if capacities yeah. are not there and now, mm-hmm. you know, curbside pickup is happening and the operational changes then how do you make sure you stay connected to what's actually going on when you're not able to do those yeah, field yeah. visits like you used to? So I think if I was managing a retail chain right now, I'd be really thinking about how I get the feedback from the field and how I get the feedback from the customers. Um, like that was always important to me. I always had you know customer surveys and employee surveys wherever I worked. It was one of those things that it was mandated for me to implement. But I think you got to re- really rethink that. And how do you make sure that you get that feedback so that you're continuously improving things for the field, right? Well, great advice. Um, I think we could talk about this for a lot longer. But in the interim, uh, the book is The Positive Effect. Where can uh, where can people get a hold of it? Yeah, so they can um, buy it on Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you can just search The Positive Effect April Sobral on Amazon. Or you can head to Retail U um, and you can click through. Uh, on retailu.ca. It's always .ca because I've always put .com. It's not. We're Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's .ca. .ca. So you can find it there as worth there for sale too. Um, but yeah, any Amazon. Mm-hmm. And is that the, you mentioned your massive LinkedIn uh, network. Is that the best way to get a hold of you via LinkedIn or, or, or through RetailU? I guess both ways work. Yeah, both ways work. Yeah, there's um, there's an About Us page on Retail U with direct email to me, or you can message me through LinkedIn, and I do answer them. I <laughs> I just am compelled. I'm a polite person. I can't help it. Like, I respond to everybody because, you know, if you're going to teach something like this, you need to make sure you do it, right? So I, I, I respond to everybody. So, yeah, you can direct message me through LinkedIn or, or through Retail U. Well, April, it's been fantastic catching up with you. Uh, so much to learn from you, and and thank you for taking the opportunity to share it in a in in a book in a book form. And it sounds like an audio book form. So, congratulations on everything you've accomplished and uh, and everything yet to be done. So, I thank you for being and joining me on the Voice of Retail podcast, and and I wish you uh, happy holidays and uh, 
for all of us a, a good and safe 2021. You too, Michael, and thank you so much. JP, welcome to The Voice of Retail this morning. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining me and welcome to the, uh, to the retail cannabis community. I've, I've had the great pleasure and opportunity to interview many retail cannabis uh, merchants and, and owners and visionaries. So I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, I have the opportunity to talk to you. So you, let's, let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your personal and professional journey, and, and what brought you to the retail cannabis business. Of course, yeah, it's an interesting uh, path, but I think there's a lot of uh, synergies from my, as it's called, my past life. Um, I uh, I come from the hospitality background, specifically hotel, spa, golf, ski, restaurant, uh, heavy in food and beverage, um, and most recently in the wine business from uh, essentially building a winery from the ground up, um, mm-hmm. from the cultivation side all the way up to the production, manufacturing, um, and retail sales uh, of wine. Really uh, passionate about food. Uh, that kind of started my journey, to be honest. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I uh, am a trained chef. Uh, I studied in Switzerland, in Italy, and uh, in upstate New York at the mm-hmm. Culinary Institute of America. And uh, my family had a has been in the hospitality business pretty much our whole lives, uh, my mm-hmm, whole life, mm-hmm. um, and naturally just found a passion for that and managed and ran with my one of my sisters, our family uh, enterprise. We had a resort just north of Toronto. Is that is that Hockley Valley? Did I see that? That's correct. It's Hockley Valley. Uh, I've been there. I've been there many times. Oh, wow. There you go. Small world. And then we uh, in 2012, we we started a project uh, of building our winery, a Damo State Mm -hmm. winery. That uh, was an interesting project from the ground up. It was literally Mm -hmm. a farmer's field. um, And we built um, again the agricultural side. So we we tested the land. We. We put in roughly 22,000 vines, kind of finished the project off by, by building and completing a, a 20,000 square foot uh, production facility and hospitality facility attached mm-hmm. to the winery. So that kind of led my way into the retail side of things as it pertains to the AGCO. I've, I've always worked at the AGCO with, with in terms of licensing, um, you know, I had a, obviously the resort was licensed. I have a also invested with my other sister. We have a wine bar just up the street from from Dimes Cannabis um, called Paquette, Bar Paquette. And, and, for the, and for the listeners who uh, may not be from Ontario, may not be aware, AGCO is the governing body that grants licenses in the province of Ontario. Yeah, right on, right on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, very familiar with working within the framework um, of the AGCO um, and really bringing my, my hospitality uh, training and passion and um, – expertise to the the cannabis field how we got into it it's it's uh was looking at the cultivation side of it uh, many mm-hmm. many years ago not saying mm-hmm. many years ago it seems a long time ago but roughly yeah. around five six years ago did a lot of work uh, it was kind of something my family was looking to do uh getting the the agricultural side and the growing side uh took it to the point where we were going to be actually filing for an lp but just 
really stepped back and thought, you know, we were maybe a couple of years too late. It, it's it, it happened to coincide with um, us actually entertaining the sale of the resorts. We ended up selling the resort and winery, and it just there was too much going on right, at right. that time. And we just or, had to. Or you could you could have wound up being a couple of years too early, being an LP. Who knows, right? I mean, who knows it, at this point? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a bit of a wild west. I mean, it was yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just changing week is. by week. Yeah. Um, it was yeah, it was just one of those things where we mm-hmm. we, we moved away from that and kind of parallel to that my um my aunt was diagnosed with cancer and um and really you know started to kind of dive into some of the benefits or or the research around cannabis with pain management and Hmm. those that are suffering from various ailments and and that kind of furthered my interest in it i just put the personal connection that way and uh, you know always the the serial entrepreneur that my parents had bred in in their kids uh (laughs) always, you know, had an eye on the retail side and um, was in for the second lottery, just missed out. But parallel to that process, I kind of went down the path. Uh, it was definitely a risk, but I, I went down the path of developing the brand, uh, working mm-hmm. with uh, a branding agency uh, that had worked with me with Bar Paquette and also the design. I had a space. Um, very fortunate that you know we own a building in in which Dimes is located, and so I started to design the space with um, Ali McQuaid from Future Studio, um, who also did uh, the wine bar for for myself. Knowing that at some point they had to change this crazy lottery system because <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. didn't make sense, and yeah. um, I wanted to be ready that the moment they changed that, I had a design. 95% completed and I could take the brand as far as I could at that point. And the moment they, they, the government opened it up um, and ab- abolished the, the lottery, I was ready to go and, and the rest is history. It kind of takes me to where I am today. Well, that was a pretty savvy move because, uh, you know, we knew at some point that the lottery process would go away. It kind of had to go away, really. It, it was, it was uh, I would characterize it as an unnecessary evil but anyway, now we've got the opportunity for great operators and people with experience and entrepreneurs and visionaries to kind of you know go and 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 uh, and play in the space, so to speak, and and innovate. So, which is the fun part. So, tell me all about this. Um, and and by the way, it's funny you not funny, but I, it's very common when I talk to cannabis entrepreneurs that there's often an intersection with the personal and professional. I mean, you just described it as well with your aunt mm-hmm. uh, and the professional. It's very common, actually. Um, that there's that intersection. There's something in there that that pulls beyond just the um, you know beyond just the financial and the, and the intellectual challenge, but also pulls people into the cannabis space. So it's very interesting. You're you're consistent uh, yeah. in 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 that for sure. All right, so let's talk about the store. So you clearly, I mean, you've got you know you're a chef, you're a globally trained chef. You've you've done wine bars, you've got bars, you've got restaurants. I mean, you come with it with a certain eye, clearly. How did you approach, you know, that that vision into what you wanted it to be? And then how did you, you know, through a lens or how did you articulate that to your designer? I mean, walk me through that kind of tradecraft of that process, because ultimately I want to know how it all kind of articulates into what the customer journey or customer experience is in your particular cannabis concept. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I drew parallels um, with my experience in the hospitality world. And, you know, one of the principal philosophies for me was, you know, anyone can build a beautiful restaurant or hotel or spa, but that that's really a, a piece of the pie. And, you know, I, I, I always had a vision of the store and, and wanted to be design focused, but just as equal uh, to me was the service that you're going to provide. 
um, you've got to match that because, you know, the last thing I want to be is a one and done. You tried, you liked it, or you went in, you thought, oh, the design was great, but I didn't, you know, the service didn't match the the design. So for me, I, I see a harmonious approach between the two. Um, so number one, went in with a with a design focused. I, I had the opportunity really to kind of step back and see where the first wave of stores were going and and really make some adjustments. And went in went into it with a design real focus and say, you know, I want this store to be beautiful. I want it to be a store mm-hmm. that I'm proud with. Uh, proud of mm-hmm. story. I didn't want to just, you know, slam a store up for the sake of slamming a store up to get it open as quickly as possible. And, Particu- you know, particularly in the in that area that you're in, you're in Queen Street, so it, you know it's becoming a fairly congested uh, location for cannabis retailers, right? So I, it feels like you need something different for someone to pass your cannabis store or pass someone else's cannabis store to go to yours. I mean, there's some bit of proximity and convenience, but. But as the industry evolves, you know, we, who knows? We get to a thousand stores. There, there, there's got to be something, right? Yeah, right. no, no, one hundred percent. And um, you know, I'm a block away from my wine bar, and by association, people will look at the design there and make an association with dimes, and and you know, it's got to be at the same level. And it's just how I've always operated, and how my family's always operated. I've, I've always felt if you're going to do it, do it right. Um, you know, cheap can be expensive. And for me, it was, it's a small footprint. Um, I wanted to make the most of it and spent the time to really hone in the design and, and really then match it with the service, you know, take my hospitality experience and also step back and see what my experience was in terms of shopping and others in terms mm-hmm. of shopping and mm-hmm. the cannabis retail, you know, the very young cannabis retail market. And a lot of the times um, I, I was getting that it was a confusing process. It was not very approachable, you know, and I drew a lot of uh, parallels to the wine industry. You know, when we opened up the winery, spent a lot of time designing the retail space for the consumer uh, to make it easier for them. I see parallels with wine and cannabis where, you know, individuals would come in and I could read their body language. They didn't want to say something that would embarrass them, you know, whether their grape varietal was a red or a white or, you know, what they liked or didn't like. They know they liked wine. They didn't know what they liked in wine necessarily or, or which right. way to go. Um, it'd, be a bit, it'd be a bit intimidating for, you know, eight or nine different types. What's the difference between all these kind of labels? And I'm kind of going somewhere with that question because yeah. I, I, I'm going to let that flow. I mean, I, I you know, this, this, similarities between wine and cannabis you know the the simple version is is you know strains but i think well beyond strains into terpenes and terpenes are a lot like the different you know as they mix and blend together they're a lot like the different varietals in some way of of wines or at least you know many people are starting to think of them in that way is is that the way is this underneath what you're for sure. what you're thinking for as an approach yeah, for sure. I mean, I see, I see, I, 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 a lot of parallels. Uh, I obviously come from the from the culinary side. That's my passion. So, mm-hmm. sense of smell, taste, food, and then going down and 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 getting my sommelier certificate, and and just I just love wine, and and I'm passionate about wine, and and have drawn incredible uh, uh, similarities between the two. Not only in terms of the complexity of cannabis in terms of the terpenes and the profiles, but also customer facing, how it can be intimidating, right? And really worked hard to tear down those barriers in our winery and our wine shop and made it very easy for the customer to come in, not only from a display perspective where it was, you could, you could really walk in and not have to talk to a individual in the winery and the wine shop and really find your way with ease and, and gain your own confidence, 
And so I really took those learnings and those principles and applied it to the cannabis layout of the store and the brand and really how we're going to present our products, how we're going to categorize them, how we're going to break down those barriers and really make it approachable. Whether you're the seasoned, experienced user that knows what they want and knows everything about cannabis and strains, uh, or you're coming in because you're new and you're, you're, you're slightly intimidated, but you're looking for guidance. You know, I want to know that our store and, and, and put a lot of energy into the training. Um, you know, that's the hospitality side of breaking down right, those barriers right. and then really the store layout, you know, how we're, how we're categorizing products, how it'll really be self, you can self navigate the store. Um, and then of course, we're going to layer that with incredible service. Um, the little touches, the little things, um, that, that to me in the hospitality world, really made the difference that I feel to a certain extent is, is missing in this, in this retail, retail world of cannabis. It's a funny interview for me because um, funny isn't peculiar because typically uh, I would have had the opportunity to go visit and shop the store and experience for myself. So I'd have some context. You're, you're unfortunately you're opening in a time when, uh, when you're not allowed to be open, so to yep. speak, I, I guess you're, I guess you're doing uh, your, the store is open now, correct? We're opening next week to curbside. Oh, you're opening next week. Fantastic. And, and you'll be doing curbside, I believe, right? Uh, curbside and we will be rolling a uh, delivery out January 4th. Um, let's go back into this um, idea around how you've positioned the brand. I mean, I, I talk to retail cannabis uh, entrepreneurs and some of them say, well, listen, I just want to serve. Uh, and you talked about different communities. I just want to serve a traditional user. And I don't think uh, I just want to be. I want it to be efficient, and it's not unlike retail, right? Retail is kind of bifurcating on experience or efficiency, and so you you would go to a store, and there are some stores that are efficient, and some customers love that. They they don't need a lot of frills; they just want to go in and mm-hmm. and buy a great product. And you're going down the other path, so I guess I'm I'm curious as to th- you think that is both in line with your philosophy, but you also think there's a commercial opportunity there. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And really, I think, you know, what's going to separate you from your competitors? Um, We're all selling more or less the same thing. I think that there's two parts to that is number one is a lot of effort and energy is going into our curated product list and what we're Mm -hmm. going to be supplying our community with. We've integrated ourselves. I live in the Queen West area of Toronto. Uh, I know the area. I've got three businesses and this will be the third business in the area Mm. um really working with local uh, as much as possible you know everything from our merchandise clothing line is is a queen west company to Mm. the handcrafted ceramic pipes is an artisan in queen west so not not for a smoke and mirrors approach but really because we believe in it is supporting the local community so you're you're clearly a big you're clearly a part of the community i mean there's no there's no parachuting no it's a new store but you're clearly not parachuting into unfamiliar territory both from a a supporting the community perspective and just knowing the people in the community exactly and you know we're not we're we're by Tron- you know, we're, we're a Toronto store by Torontonians uh, for the Queen West market. We're not coming in from Alberta or anywhere else, and there's nothing against that. But we're we love this area. You know, we love the city of Toronto. We love our community. Um, so really, you know, with five or six choices along Queen Street, we want to be your neighborhood spot. You know, similar to that neighborhood bar that you feel comfortable with. You know, you're gonna give it. You're gonna have consistent service. You know, the product is consistent. Uh, but you get, you can also get that same beer across the street. So why do you go to that bar right, uh, right, two, three right. times a month? Uh, it's because it's you know a lot of factors. It's also it's it's how they make you feel, right? And yeah, yeah. 
you know, with, with a design that we feel is very design focused uh, from the exterior of our building to the interior, um, where we, we know just from our competitors on the street that we, we already stand out uh, to an integrated service experience. You know, that's really what we're banking on is, is separating us. And, you know, I want to be that, that neighborhood uh, shop. You know, and yes, we're selling cannabis and other accessories and merchandise, but, you know, I want us to be that. We know your name. You know, we know you as a regular customer. Right. We right. acknowledge you when you come in. Um, and again, that's that goes back to my hospitality experience. You know, I would have a, a hotel guest that would come once a year and I would make it a point to remember, you know, mm. Mr. or Mrs. Jones, you know, welcome back. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Those little touches. And, you know, that that all adds up to how you make people feel you know, we're, we're in that business, right? We're in the service business as well, as much as we are in the retail business. I see it as, as one A and one B for me. Yeah. Right on, right on. Well, let's talk about your, um, strategy. You've got one store. Are you, are you planning for more? What are you thinking about for 2021? It's kind of a bit of an unfair question. Let me get you, you should be saying, well, just let me get one store open and then <laughs> no. ask me about the future, but, uh, you know, what the hell I'm going to ask you anyway. So, yeah. um, you know, as you think about, is this a one-store concept for you? Is this just uh, integrated into the rest, or how are you, how are you thinking about it? Yeah, no, I I, I am not one to sit uh, sit back. I uh, I've just recently secured a location in Thornbury, um, Ontario, mm. north of the city. So we yep. are have our RSA in, our our application in, and we are mm. looking for a 2021 summer opening for a second location, which. Mm. Uh, uh, again, really, really looking at, you know, a community that we feel dimes can really come into and be a part of the local community. Um, I used to spend summers up in Georgian Bay and, and having, you know, a lot of childhood memories up there. And, you know, my parents have a place in Thornbury and, you know, know a lot of people and frequent the area and always felt that that area was an area that intrigued me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we, we actually, this is, you know, very fresh. Uh, this is, uh, within the last week or so that this has been finalized and, mm-hmm. and breaking that, news. Yeah. Breaking, breaking news. news exactly. All right. <laughs> like our second location, but definitely not looking to limit it to two. I think yeah. I also want to be very strategic with growth. I'm not looking mm-hmm. to just plaster and open six, you know, yeah. seven, 12, whatever the number is. I, I, there, there is a rate. I mean, if you look at the, at the, at the farthest end of that, you know, with, with the high tides and with fire and flower, there is, there is consolidation. And, and the one strategy is get, is get big, not necessarily get big faster, but, but certainly we are seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing, I don't know, like retail, you're seeing specialty retailers and then you're seeing retailers who are expanding and taking advantage of scale and scope uh, as, as part of their competitive uh, platform, right? The most important thing for me, and it's kind of counterintuitive to my entrepreneur side of the brain, is I, I don't want to lose focus of what Dimes is, and that is, you know, service-oriented. I don't want to water down the product by expanding too quickly. Yeah. Um, I'm very cognizant of that. Um, and and so if we open a store, it's got to be on brand. I want to know that I can dedicate the time, the resources to make sure that it is in line with my principles and the company principles and we're executing at the highest level, um, which that becomes more difficult when you've got 10 pots on the stove at once. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm very mindful of that. That's not to say that I can't manage, you know, when the company can't manage multiple stores at one time in terms sure. of openings, but I also am very aware that I want to make sure that it's done right and done in a, in a, in a, in a timely manner as well. Yeah, and, and and for sure. I mean, um, you know, of course, retailers of all types manage multiple sizes with infrastructure, and and you know, after they grow, so I'm I'm sure you'll be able to uh, assess that opportunity as, yeah. as you go. Well, well listen, and um, you know, welcome to the to the 
community, so to speak. It's great to have uh, another uh, skilled entrepreneur bringing a different perspective and a different set of skills into retail cannabis. I, I wish you continued success, and I look forward to, uh, to visiting the store uh, itself and experiencing it uh, hopefully sooner than later. Um, in Toronto as well. Uh, and I thank you for, uh, for joining me on the Voice of Retail podcast. It's been my pleasure. It's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a great experience. Thank you. Well, thanks to April and JP for being my guests, plus Omnolus for the support on this episode. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform, rate, review. Be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Emmy LeBlanc and Company, Inc., you can learn more about me on www.meleblanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a safe week.